Amen. Well, this morning we do want to think about this new missions theme uh, from the Alliance, and that is to be present. And we want to look this morning specifically at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. We have this account of Jesus entering into Jericho, and we want to see a couple of things that take place here. Where it says of Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I just want to pause there and just notice what's happening so far in this passage. That here it says that Jesus was entering Jericho and was passing through. But as we continue on with the story, we're going to find that Jesus had a stop to make before he would pass through Jericho, and we'll get to that in a second. But we turn our focus in verse 2 to this man named Zacchaeus. And we don't know a lot about Zacchaeus, but this text gives us the few things that we do know. First of all, he was a chief tax collector. A chief tax collector as a Jewish man means that he essentially sold out his fellow Israelites to work for the Roman government. And it also says that he was rich, which tells us that not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, but Zacchaeus was also very generous to himself in some of the surcharges that he put upon people as they paid their taxes. So we kind of throw all of this into the pile, and we have Zacchaeus, who is a Jewish man who's working for Rome and stuffing his own pockets with the money of his fellow Israelites. In other words, he's one of the most hated men in town because he's betrayed his fellow Israelites. He's overcharging people to pay their taxes. He's profiting off of their suffering. This is not a guy who's popular with the crowd. We see in verse 3 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. So Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. There's not many throughout the area who haven't heard something about Jesus. And Zacchaeus is curious. But more than that. Zacchaeus is beyond curious because Zacchaeus sets out to see for himself who Jesus is. But the other detail we're given about Zacchaeus is he's a little short of stature. He's vertically challenged. So as he's going around the crowd, he can't see over everybody else. For some, that's an issue. Uh, for others of us, we just kind of look over the top of everyone else. It's, it's genetics. It's not positive or negative. But for Zacchaeus, it's a negative. Everything is stacked against Zacchaeus. As a short man, I'm sure he's not exactly immune from ridicule, especially when people can't stand him to begin with. But then Zacchaeus does something very curious. It says in verse 4, he runs on ahead and he climbs up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus before Jesus could pass by. Climbing up a tree is not something I've done in a long, long, long time. I'm guessing maybe 40 years since I've climbed up a tree. Because climbing up a tree, unless you're hunting and you have a deer stand, climbing up a tree isn't typically something grown men just do. 
especially not sophisticated, rich men. But this is exactly what Zacchaeus does. This tells us something about Zacchaeus. That Zacchaeus has more than just a passing curiosity of Jesus. There's something deep happening in Zacchaeus' soul. Because he's literally willing to humiliate himself just to catch a sight of Jesus. To be a grown man, a sophisticated man, a rich man, who is supposed to have authority, some sense of authority over people, like a little kid, climbs up into a tree to see Jesus. This isn't just curiosity. There's something more deep happening in Zacchaeus's heart that makes him want to have an encounter with Jesus. Then verse 5, it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus could have just kept walking. Jesus didn't have to direct his attention to Zacchaeus. He could have been busy. He had things to do, places to be. If you've ever run into me at the grocery store, Walmart, Coons, wherever, and you feel slighted because I didn't acknowledge you, I promise you it's nothing personal. I didn't realize you were there. When I go to a store, I have a laser focus on what I need to go, what I need to get, and Julie's nodding her head. She can back me up. I am oblivious to what's happening around me. I'm on a mission. So you can walk right past me, and there's a chance I won't even know. There's been some, I've seen some of you sometimes, and there's exceptions, but by and large, I'm on a mission. Jesus could have very easily been like, oh, that must just be some kid up in the tree. That's nice. But as Jesus walks by, he looks up and addresses him by name. I wonder when the last time a fellow Jewish person called Zacchaeus by name. Other than, hey, dirtbag, or some variation thereof. When was the last time somebody actually spoke Zacchaeus' name? In fact, Jesus didn't even have to do that. He could have just said, hey, I see you. Come on down. But he addresses Zacchaeus by name. There's all these little things. If you really look at the things that Jesus does and the things that Jesus says, it's astounding. The little touches of care that he puts on his ministry. Addressing somebody by name. Looking at them. Telling them to look at him. Touching lepers. He looks up at Zacchaeus, addresses him by name. And he doesn't say, Zacchaeus, when you get a chance, come on down. I'd love to hang out with you. Notice what he says. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. He just invites himself over. Zacchaeus wasn't planning this. I mean, when Jesus shows up at your house, it's not just Jesus. He's got his disciples who are always with him. There's going to be a crowd. So Jesus just said, Zacchaeus, get down here right now because we're about to have a party at your house. Just invite yourself over somewhere. Was Jesus being rude? 
Or does he know that this is what Zacchaeus desperately longs for, but is afraid to ask for? Jesus invites himself and all the disciples over to Zacchaeus' down. And so verse 6, Zacchaeus could have said, No, I haven't cleaned. I don't have anything ready. I can't host you guys. But verse 6, he hurries and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus receives Jesus and the disciples joyfully into his house. But verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled, meaning the crowd. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Notice what Jesus does. Whatever Zacchaeus needed on this day, Jesus could have given him right there in the street. Jesus could have waited for the crowd to kind of thin out, pull Zacchaeus aside and minister to whatever Zacchaeus needed. But Jesus stops the parade, stops everybody else who was waiting for him, who wanted something from him, and says, Zacchaeus, you're at the front of the line. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' house, and he sits down to have a meal with Zacchaeus. In this culture, to sit down and have a meal with somebody is a sign of fellowship. Again, we talked about that when we began our series on the significance of communion. There's a sense of intimacy and communion and relationship when you sit down for a meal with somebody. And Jesus is the one who initiates this with Zacchaeus. It's not Zacchaeus who's begging Jesus to come and hang out. He's not saying, Jesus, please, please, I beg you, come and have dinner at my house tonight. It's Jesus who initiates this relationship with Zacchaeus. And notice how everybody else responds. Everybody else who's gathered. Look at him. He's hanging out with a sinner. He's going into the house of that filthy wretch. That scoundrel who cheats us out of money. Who sold us out to work for Rome to pad his own pockets. That's the guy that Jesus is hanging out with? To which Jesus would give an affirmative, yep. Jesus, this isn't the first time, is condemned for being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And I love the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery because they're waiting to stone this woman. And Jesus is there. They bring her to Jesus and he just starts scribbling in the sand. And he says, yeah, whoever hasn't sinned, go ahead and start throwing rocks. And they start dropping the rocks. They all disappear. Everybody's gone except for Jesus and the woman. Then and only then does he say, you got to stop doing this. He doesn't shame her publicly. He doesn't call her out. He could have said, you know, I also condemn what she does. Jesus could have said, Zacchaeus, I know you want me to come over, but I know who you are. Notice that there's no indication that Zacchaeus and Jesus have met before, yet Jesus looks up and knows his name. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, before I come into your house, we got to talk about the way you're living. 
what you're doing is not right. You're ripping people off. You've betrayed your kindred. You've got to stop this. Instead, Jesus says, I just want to come and sit down and have a meal with you. And all the people look at it and shake their heads. Another case where Jesus aligns himself with the sinners and the outcasts. Then verse 8, it says, Achaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, we assume that this is now Jesus in Zacchaeus' house, and they've been enjoying a meal, and suddenly Zacchaeus stands up and declares, Whatever I've done wrong, I'm going to make it right. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Because as far as we know, there's no indication that Jesus ever had that talk with Zacchaeus. That talk of the way you're living isn't right. Yet whatever the interaction, the response of Zacchaeus is, if I'm going to follow him, if I'm going to give my life to him, I need to make right the wrongs I've committed. And suddenly we have this beautiful and genuine, just spontaneous act of repentance on behalf of Zacchaeus. And then Jesus declares in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says, this is why I came. For people like Zacchaeus. Now, again, this story could have unfolded in a variety of ways. Again, Jesus could have stopped his parade and said, Zacchaeus, you've been living a wretched life. you got to knock it off. And then gone on with his parade. He stops, engages, and initiates relationship with Zacchaeus. And through whatever happens in that interaction, it leads Zacchaeus to repentance. And he changes his life. This is what it means to be present. What Jesus does, as Dr. Stumbo mentioned in that video, that Jesus, in simply coming into the world, exhibits what it means to be present. He mentioned there that God could have dealt with salvation and just proclaimed that Jesus could have come down as a fully grown man, died on the cross for our sins, and said, hey, trust in me, receive me as Savior, be forgiven of your sins. But Jesus comes as a baby. He's born as a baby, and then we fast forward to when he's about 12 years old. We get this little story of him staying behind at church and his parents heading home. And, and then we fast forward to him about 30 years old. We have all these silent years of Jesus where he's just a young Jewish boy who becomes a young Jewish man learning to be a carpenter, living life in this world. He's not teaching He's not performing miracles. He just spends 30 years living life as a Jewish man. Jesus became present for us. 
Jesus became present for Zacchaeus to say, Zacchaeus, I want to engage a relationship with you. And through this encounter, through this interaction with Jesus, Zacchaeus is led to repentance. What does this have to do with missions and being present for us? Missiologists are saying that we are more like the first century today than any other time in history. Meaning that we are in a time today when Christianity is not the default setting of our society just as it was in the first century. For since the beginning of our country, there's kind of been this default setting of the Christian faith and an awareness of the gospel. And we've now come to a point where there is no longer that default foundation of the gospel in the lives of people. And as followers of Jesus, we have a question to ask ourselves. And the question is twofold. Option number one is I can shake my fist and be frustrated that there's no longer a default Christian understanding in the hearts and minds of our culture. Or option two is I can go back to doing things the way Jesus did them. What difference does this make? See, we can just kind of bemoan what's happening in the world and we can invite people to events. We can invite people to see Chiz Rider. And there was a time when that would have been very effective. Having something posted on the church sign would have drawn people, but we have shifted that now. What people long for more than an invitation to an event is for you to be present in their lives. Just as Jesus was with Zacchaeus. Why is this so important in our culture? Because it builds trust. Do we realize that as messengers of the gospel, that one part of the work we have to do is establish trust? Because since the mid-80s, Christianity has been engulfed in scandal after scandal after scandal. And to say that people don't trust us is an understatement. If we want to reach people for Jesus, we need to be present in their lives. Not just so that we can tell them about Jesus, but because we genuinely care about them. If you've ever bought a car, you know what this looks like. You go into the car dealership and the salesman always does one thing at the very beginning. And it takes about a half hour of your day and you're annoyed because just, just let's get on with the price. Just let's go. But the salesman always wants to sit down and become your new best friend. Why does he or she do that? To help make the sale. And you know it. You know they don't really care. Because you can walk out of there like, I've got a new best friend. Let's friend on Facebook and let's spend holidays together. But you can call them a week later and they're like, who? They want to make a sale. And you know it. You sense it. And when we treat the people around us like objects, like I'm going to befriend you so that I can tell you about Jesus, they also sense that, just like you sense it from the car salesman. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' home. And as far as we're told, he's not pushing anything on Zacchaeus. 
But in response to this encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus can't help but repent. Simply proclaiming something from the mountaintops, putting up signs, are no longer as effective as they once were. Are we present in people's lives, spending time with them, hanging out with them, not always talking about religious things with them? Does that mean we should never talk? No, that doesn't mean we should never talk about Jesus with them. It should be a natural part of our relationship. If you, if people, anyone who's my friend, uh, people I knew back in Cleveland even knew, I always loved the Steelers. And it's, I don't talk about the Steelers every time I hang out with people, but they know that as a Steelers fan, it's going to come up on occasion. And they also know that as somebody who follows Jesus, that Jesus is bound to come up in conversation. And sometimes they ask the questions. For whatever reason, most of the conversations I've had throughout my time following Jesus have been more about reversing people's assumptions about Christians. Sometimes that's long and hard work. It's fitting as we think about missions and international work that we are more like international workers than ever before. We champion those stories of people who go to the Middle East and they spend five years there just building relationships before they see even one person even express interest in Jesus. Because we know that there's groundwork that has to be laid, there's relationships that need to be developed. The same is true for us. So when I came to Jesus in the late 80s, I was told something that's probably some of the worst advice I was ever given as a follower of Jesus, and that is get rid of as many non-Christian friends as you can because they're going to pull you down. Just make Christian friends. Get rid of all your non-Christian friends. Probably the worst advice I was ever given because that's not what Jesus did at all. Jesus spent more time with tax collectors and sinners than anybody else. In fact, the people who weren't his followers, the only people he got annoyed with were the religious people. The sinners and the outcasts were drawn to him. and He was drawn to them. A lot of times we talk about sharing Jesus with others and living out the Great Commission. And sometimes it feels like, okay, what, how can I fit this into my life when it should already be a part of our lives? This isn't let's add something to our lives. This is let's bring Jesus into what we're already doing in life. Not just hide it. Not pull Jesus out when it's time to scold somebody for what they're doing. But to share Jesus and the relationship that we have with Jesus. And one thing I, that's really hit me over the past several years has become how much we leave a relationship with Jesus out of salvation. And we wonder why there's such confusion as to whether or not somebody's actually a Christian because for a long time it was very common to be like, accept Jesus into your heart, you're going to burn in hell. Okay, I will. That becomes... I've punched my ticket. 
There's no call to discipleship. There's no call to relationship. Jesus himself said that this is eternal life, that we can know him. If we want people to respond to Christ, it needs to begin with us being present in their lives, spending time with them. This week, I was uh, with a couple of friends, and one of them has a propensity for profanity. Didn't mean to do the double P's there, but... And he always turns, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's like, please stop. Just be, be you. Don't, I don't have to, but you're, you're a minister. It's like, but you're my friend. I, are we comfortable letting people be who they are? And loving them. And yes, telling them about the one that we love in Jesus. Or have we followed the advice of, I need to rid myself of all friends who don't know and follow Jesus? How can we tell them if we've cut them out of our lives? Are we willing to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? And as for as much as we see about Jesus preaching the crowds, the gospel writers seem to really celebrate these one-on-one -on -one encounters. These small, intimate moments of Jesus ministering to one person. We don't often see, you know, as he preaches on a mountainside, you know, these, this big response of followers. But we get these beautiful stories of repentance when he interacts with one guy like Zacchaeus who was hated by everybody else. And the fact that Jesus wanted to hang out with him brought scorn upon himself. But look at the outcome of this encounter with Zacchaeus as Jesus was present in his life. Who has God brought into your life that you can be present to? To not always preach at them, to not always correct them when they do something that the Bible says is wrong, but to just love them and be present in their life and share with them the relationship that you have with Christ. It's not quick work. It's slow work. But it amazes me how often we see Jesus doing the very same. And in the book of Acts, we get this beautiful picture after Saul, who became Paul, after he initiates persecution on the church, it said that everybody but the apostles flee Jerusalem and they take Jesus with them as they go. We're not told that they become preachers, missionaries, church planters. They just relocate their lives. And in relocating their lives, they take Jesus with them. Going back to being a carpenter, going back to being a pot maker, whatever they would do, a farmer but they bore the name of Jesus where they went and what they did. As we turn our focus here as we head into the fall about reaching the world for Christ, it begins with this theme of being present in people's lives. Being present with people who don't know Jesus. Being present with people who are going to use words that we would rather not use or hear. But it comes with the territory. Whose life can you be present in? And think about who was present in your life 
to share Jesus with you at one point. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.